0: We started Lent season this past week. How many of you know what that is? It depends on the tradition you kind of grow up in, but it's the 40 days that leads you up to Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. And we are doing some fun things for Lent this year at Timberline, and we have a Good Friday service. We have a powerful weekend service. I want you to be preparing for that and praying for that. But this idea of rain... Has come to us because in the last week of the life of Jesus, it got tough. I mean, it really got tough. We're going to see some suffering. We're going to see some complexities in the life of Jesus. Everything boils down to people uh, calling for his death. So sometimes, you know, rain is one of those. How many of you like the rain typically? I, I do too. But how about last Wednesday morning when it started to rain? <laughs> that that storm started with rain. I was literally thinking about this weekend and I had a big smile on my face going, wow, that's crazy. Because it started out as this rain going sideways, the wind. I think the irony of that for me was that on Tuesday, the day before that, I was in the office here. We had just come to the end of our our hours at 5 o'clock, and it was about 5 after 5, and several were gathered out in the hall area uh, getting ready to leave. And it came through that Pooter School District was closing schools tomorrow, meaning Wednesday. And we follow the school district, so it's easy for people to kind of understand when we're open and when we're not. And they said, well, just got to notice we're, we're closing tomorrow. And I said, you're kidding me. I looked outside. I literally went out looked outside and went, What? My car just said 62 degrees. They said, it's a blizzard. I said, yeah, it looks like a blizzard. I, mean, I just did not get my head wrapped around this. And, and they said, yeah, it's coming. It's going to be one of the worst blizzards, blah, 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 60-mile-an-hour gusts and all this stuff. So I get in my car. I'm, I'm smiling all the way home thinking, oh, my goodness, this is ridiculous. Wow, did it come. Uh, it, it definitely hit. That's exactly what's, what's happening in our message today. Jesus has healed people. He's fed the thousands. He's ministered. Life is good. People love him. A lot of great things are happening in these little towns and cities. Jesus traveled about 60 to 75 miles circumference from that little Nazareth place. And and so he hasn't been very far, but lots of great stuff has happened. It's an exciting time. However, the blizzard hits. And today we're going to pick it up with how the blizzard hits and some of the reactions of Jesus. This message is called Pressure Points. We have a small group study going along with it with a booklet that Jeff Lucas wrote, and it is fantastic, by the way, with the DVD series as well. So I hope you're in a small group. Create one if you don't have one. But we're going to be looking from the perspective of the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are considered the four Gospels. Gospel means good news. Mark is the shortest one, and he is the fast-paced writer. Mark doesn't look back. Once he starts writing, he, just go, he gets to the bottom line in like one sentence. How many of you like the bottom line kind of, guys? You'll love this then. I kind of like that. And the problem with it is almost hard to follow because he doesn't give you a lot of narrative in between. He just hits one event after the other. So I'll fill it in as we go, but if you have a Bible, Mark 11, we're going to just go through that chapter. Right now in this message, we're going to look at about 20 hours, 20 to 24 hours in the life of Jesus, and it's the beginning of the last week of his life here on this earth. So keep that in mind as we go. Now, Sometimes we use the word rain in kind of a negative sense. We we say, it's a rainy day. What do we mean by that? It's, just, it's not going great? We even have another phrase where we say, "Oh, when it rains, it pours. What does that mean? It just means it gets worse, right? It's bad now and it gets worse. It just keeps coming. So that's kind of what we have going on in this text. It's just going to rain. But here's what I want you to know before we dive into the outline. Rain puts moisture in the earth, which allows things to grow. How many times in Colorado, if you've been around here very long, do you hear it in the middle of the summer, we really need some rain all the time. I wish it would rain. So when rain comes into your life, I want you to step back and think, not just, oh, great, it's a rainy day. When it rains, it pours. I want you to think, God, what is happening in my life right now that I can grow from? The principles that you want me to learn during the rainy season of my life. And we can learn from the, the acts of Jesus, the decisions of Jesus. So he was under pressure points. Mark 11 all over the place. Let's go. Number one in your outline, the pressure, there are four pressures I want to give you. The the first one is the pressure of knowing what is about to happen. The pressure of actually knowing something's going to take place in the next few minutes. It's not a good feeling. It's a terrible feeling. Jesus knew what was about to happen, and I'm going to read this in verse one of Mark 11. Follow along. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. How does he know this? Well, he's God. Okay, he knows. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and we will return it soon. (laughs) I'm glad I wasn't one of those two guys. That's tense. Yeah, go steal a donkey from the town and if anyone asks you about it, just say, I need it. The two disciples left and they found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded What are you doing, untying that colt? (laughs) I I just love the tension here. They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Can you imagine that? Then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. How many of you know what happens next in this story? We call it Palm Sunday. That's this day. That's the week before the resurrection. That's, That's how it all started. Jesus announces, go get the colt. There's a prophecy that says he's gonna ride an unbroken colt. He rides it into town. People cut off palm branches. They lay their cloaks on the ground. Get this, they only did that for royalty. This is the first time in the life of Jesus, other than a few private moments, when a city, hundreds of people, thousands of people are recognizing him as the king. And even more so, As God, son of David, they are declaring that he is the Messiah. This hasn't happened. Now, Jesus knows this is going to be the beginning of the last week of his life. He's never really let this happen before. If you study the Gospels, you'll see things like he does a miracle and he says, don't tell anybody about this. Oh, by the way, don't, don't mention this. They do anyway but he's constantly trying to keep it down. This is the first time he gets on the colt, rides down that familiar road right into Jerusalem, and thousands of people are cheering him on, and he's being called God. I, uh, I don't like knowing what's going to happen ahead. I remember one time I was in, we used to call it junior high instead of middle school. How many of you remember those days? And uh, I was at Orchard Mesa Junior High in Grand Junction, Colorado, And I had not even a friend, but just this guy, this random guy at school in the hall right before third period. He comes up to me, almost bumps into me, and he goes, guess what's going to happen in third period? And I said, what? And he said, I'm going to pull the fire alarm just as a joke. And I'm like, oh, that's not a good joke, man. I mean, he just walked away. He wouldn't listen to anything I said. So I'm nervous. I'm going into class going, oh, no, should I tell the teacher, but I don't want to be known as a rat, and I don't, you know, I just, I was just so stressed out, and I'm waiting, I'm looking at my watch, like, every minute of that class, waiting for that alarm to go off, and, and what if he tells people that I knew and I didn't say anything, it was so stressful, and the alarm never went off in third period. I was disappointed, <laughs> actually. I don't like knowing things ahead. Jesus knew that this was gonna be trouble. As a matter of fact, it's like, it's, it's like an alarm. How many of you ever set an alarm? I, I rarely do because I wake up early, but on Saturday nights I always set an alarm just in case, you know? And, uh, and even this morning this happened. I woke up one minute before my alarm was gonna go off. Do you ever do that? It's like your brain knows or something. And then for me, it's like a panic race to get that thing off before it rings. You know, it's like, get that thing off, turn it off, don't let it ring. This was that alarm clock for Jesus. In his mind, he probably had the thought, this is the beginning of the end. So what he's about to do in the next few pressure points is very willingly, he's about to stir the pot deeper than he ever has in all of his ministry. And it's going to cost him greatly. You're going to see as we go through this. But how did he feel about this? What were his emotions? Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He had fear, the right kind of fear. He had anxiety, he had tension, he had nervousness. The Bible talks about his emotion. When he wept, he had hunger, he was thirsty. So he had all the human traits that we have. He was tested and tempted at every level like we are, the writer of Hebrews says. So, so there's something here that we know he's a real guy, yet he's fully God. There's pressure on his human side As he's on that colt going into Jerusalem, there's pressure there and he knows this is a scary time for my future. The second pressure point is this. It's the pressure of cursing a fruitless tree. Now a lot of people don't get this in the Bible and they just read over it and they don't stop to think about what's really happening here. This is a powerful picture of the day and age that Jesus lived in. I'm going to read it and then I want to explain it and I want to just discuss it with you. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf. That's very important. Say those three words with me. In full leaf. A little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree... May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. What? He curses a fig tree because it didn't have any figs on it? Do you, think, do you think God had a temper? Do you think that he was just angry because he didn't get his little snack? No. Not at all. That's not it at all. If you have even one thought of that, just throw it away. Here's what was happening. A fig tree produces figs when it leafs out. That's the norm. That's the standard. And it was. The Bible even says it was leafing out before all the other fig trees were. But in his mind, he saw that the tree was leafed out, which meant it should have fruit. It should have figs on it. And he was hungry, so he went there, and it didn't have figs, which meant the tree was a deception. It was an illusion Why does it have leaves and not figs? This was a perfect picture of the religious circles he was in right now in his life. It was a picture of the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, teachers of the law who had leafed out but had no fruit. They gave their money publicly where people could see it. They said their prayers on the street corners out loud forever. And they used big words no one could ever understand. They dressed with headgear that had symbols on it and knots on it and certain ways on their robes to tell how smart they were, how studied they were. And believe me, they were. They were brilliant. But they were leafs. They had no fruit And Jesus is cursing the notion that you are a fake. You can't be a fake. If you're going to have leaves, then you need to have the fruit of God in your life. And you're going to be caught. He's trying to make a point that if you look like you have fruit on it, you need to have fruit on it. It's a deception. It's an illusion. You know, I, I think about sometimes in our lives when we care more about our image than we do the truth about the core of us. You know, I've talked about this before, but it's a, it's a wonderful reminder to ask this question. Do you know who you really are at the core, the truth of who you are? I think I know my weaknesses. I think I'm pretty self-aware. And I think I'm not sure I want everyone to know some of my weaknesses. So there's this little thing called the image of me, which I, I can clean up and 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 kind of say the right things and do the right things. And and I'm not a hypocrite, I really am not, but but there's a little gap between what God knows about me and how frustrated I could be about certain things and 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 the image of me that I really don't want you to see. This me, I want you to see this me, because you know I am a pastor. <laughs> right? And, and so there's expectation, and I want to try to meet those expectations. Now, this is this is an honest attempt to be the best me I can be. So I'm not trying to live as a hypocrite. I'm just saying I think all of us have a little gap between the truth about us in our humanness, in our flesh, when I'm tempted. We all have weaknesses and stuff that we're, we're trying to figure out. We're trying to really be. But here's what happens to mankind. We work on the image of us, and that image starts to get, farther and farther from the truth of us. Oh, I like it when people say that about me. I'll I'll get them to say that a little more. So all of a sudden we have a culture full of people that are completely image driven and they've lost sense of where they really are. And then they're exposed. Boom. Man, have you ever seen someone that got exposed and their immorality was was put before you, or they were stealing money, or they they were whatever, and you went, I never dreamed that that person would have that problem. I'll tell you what happened. They lost the core of who they were. They were leafy, but they had no fruit. And Jesus is saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Why? Because he came so that people could have life and have it abundantly. He came so that when the Spirit of God comes in you, you have fruit to offer. Come and see that I am good. Taste and see that I am good. That's what Jesus wants in our lives. So he doesn't want you to look successful or act successful. He wanted you to be not image-driven but truth-driven. Jesus feels the pressure of correcting this wrong. That's why he cursed the tree. He's making a point that those things that are fake should not be allowed to look so good, and he's gonna expose it. Everybody with me, say yes. Yes. This gets worse, okay, it's the third point, and that is the pressure of promoting justice. So now he's gonna take this cursing and this, you know, kind of this, this harshness to the temple. And many of you know the story when he turns over the tables, and this is why. It's all part of this day of him cleansing stuff. No, this tree's not allowed to look like that because it's not bearing fruit. No, the temple's not made for this. Here's, here we go. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now he's being really bold right here. We've not seen this in him before. Look at verse 18. When the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, that's all that group, heard what Jesus had done, they began planning on how to what? kill him. This isn't messing around. This isn't a movie. This is, they're going to kill him. They're going to take his life and they will succeed. He's a week away. He's five days away. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Now, it's important that we understand that temple court, it wasn't just that it was a sacrifice being sold. It was that the scales they were using were stealing money from people. It was also that they were putting people on guilt trips. So, oh, yeah, you can use this little dove. Pfft, what a sacrifice that is. Or I can sell you this one. It's more money, but it's a, it's a big sacrifice. God would be much more happy. Don't you just hate guilt like false guilt? I love being guilt, feeling guilty when I've done something wrong and the spirit convicts me. That's the good kind of guilt. I can change that. But I don't like it when people heap guilt on me for something I haven't even done wrong. And that's why at Timberline I don't use guilt. I don't try to get people caught in a corner and press you down and guilt you into response. I'll tell you why. Because you might respond, guilt is effective, but it leads to resentment. So don't, don't respond to just gi- guilt. Don't give out of guilt. Respond out of love. Give out of love. Let that be the best Response you have for God So he gets rid of all this stuff And says this is not what it's supposed to be This is a pressure point for him Now I'm going to I really want to back this up Think about this About how old is Jesus now in this story About 33 years old he, he, Scholars believe he was crucified Right in that range there And so How long has he seen this Going on in the temple His whole life why, why didn't he do anything before now? You ever think of stuff like that? I believe, I believe he knew this would be the end of him. I believe he knew this was the time clock and they would kill him for this. And he was very wise up to this point not to do this too soon because he had a bigger vision. He had something greater in mind you see, I'm, I'm amazed at sometimes people who, I don't know, they, I, I say to Foth and to Lucas and to our teaching team all the time, you guys, let's remember this desk is a sacred place and it is not to stand up and flame, put flames out there for every political decision that doesn't honor God. This desk is not made for us to get up here on a rant Every weekend, and tell you what you need to sign and what you need to believe, and what you need to go do, and what you need to go post. This desk is about telling you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, the works and the deeds and the love of the Lord. This desk is reserved for the truth of the Bible, for what scripture says and how it is interpreted. Because if you get that in people's hearts, then they can respond in a way that pleases God and pleases the Spirit. And then it's not man telling man what to do. It's God leading us by the Spirit. Big difference. Big difference That's why this desk matters It matters So don't get all caught up In going out there And fighting everybody on everything Pick your battles wisely Jesus did This is a pressure point for him And he now realizes It's worth laying down my life And I'm going to have a final stand About this one Number four the pressure of having an unknown identity. This is, this is maybe the biggest one that I, I want to talk about because it's, it's very much in my heart and I'm sad about this one. I had a, I had a funny thing happen to me last year. I was, <laughs> I woke up one morning and our tech uh, person here at Timberline, Cindy, shot me a text and said, did you open a new Facebook page last night? And I said, you know me, and you know I didn't. I don't do Facebook. Nothing wrong with Facebook, but I just don't do it for a variety of reasons. But um, I said, no. And she said, well, you need to see this link. Someone has opened an account, and they're saying it's you. And so I went to this link, and you guys, it's me. It's a picture of me standing out by the sign that says Timberline Church in the peaks and it has this nice saying and it's a quote from me and it's inviting you to Timberline and I'm standing there like this and I don't even know where they got the picture. It just freaked me out. I'm like, did I do that in my sleep or did I, what? (laughs) What was I drinking last night? That that, No, I'm kidding, that was a joke. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. it. It shocked me, it set me back, it was not me. And she got it all shut down finally but I just thought, wow, what? What is going on that, that this identity would be important to someone? So I just want to say, if you ever get like a, a, a Facebook uh, message from me that says, hey, I'm in Mexico and I need money, it's not me, okay? It's not me, I promise. I don't know who it is. Verse 27, again they entered Jerusalem as Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, the elders came. This is, all, this is the group, you guys. This is who we've been talking about. They came up to him, and this is important. They demanded. That's a harsh word. They demanded. It's like, we're the boss. You're going to answer to us. By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I tell you, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question, I love this. Jesus is so wise, Jesus replies, did John, he's talking about John the Baptist, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? And then he says a big Greek word, that's a command, answer me. So they huddle up, I can just see him. And they talked it over among themselves. If we say that it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, We don't know. We're not going to answer the question. Jesus responded, Then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things either. <laughs> naner, na naner. nan-er. <laughs> it's just so, so cool. Again, Here's the sorrow for me. These religious leaders, those categories that we just read, the Pharisees, all, all those guys, do you know that they've memorized the first five books of the Bible by the time they're 12 years old? Have you ever even tried to read Leviticus? <laughs> they knew the law. They prayed four to six times a day. They had all the right stuff. Their lives were given to this, and they were brilliant. They were so intelligent. But think of this. With all of that, right in front of them is God. Right in front of them is God. And they don't know it. All their study, all their work, all their labor... And God is standing right in front of them, and they don't even know it. Now, I've got to tell you, with that kind of an attitude that they had toward Him and their anger and their demanding, I would have moved, if I was Jesus, I would have moved out of the core truth of me over to the image. Just being honest, and I would have said something like, You want to know who I am? I'm God, and you're not. You see that fire coming down from heaven right now? That's for you, right? right? There's just got to be a little bit of a revenge end in the movie. But Jesus doesn't retaliate. And here's why. Remember this. If you forget everything else I've said today, remember this. His vision and his purpose was greater than retaliation. He knew why he came to this earth. He came to this earth for the very people who did not know him. He was going to lay down his life. They weren't going to kill him. He already knew that. He was going to lay down his life so that the blind religious people could see the truth that he was the Messiah. And he would be the sacrifice for their sin. And all the sins of every human being from that day forward. Wow. Talk about not letting that moment override your passion or your retaliation or your revenge or your anger, that's a pressure point. Man, I've been walking around this week saying, God, show me, please, how to stop when my agenda is broken and to live with the promise of God and to live with the passion to bear the fruit of the Savior and not my own. Three things I want to end with. Lessons learned. Number one, God has a plan for my life. You guys don't ever forget that. He has a plan for your life. It's not just any plan. It's his plan. And I'm not saying that it's every breath or every step. As a kid, I got so confused about this predestination stuff, and I'm like, okay, does he know I just stepped over here? Like, did he know I was going to do that? Or did he know I was going to come over here? Oh, I, I tricked him. Ha, he didn't know I was going to do that. Forget all that. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. He has a plan. A plan for you to prosper. For you to reach your sweet spot. For you to bear fruit. Number two, God wants us to produce fruit. I'll make this quick, but please hear it. Don't let busyness disguise productivity. A lot of Christians are busy. A lot of people are busy, but are they productive? You know, if you lead an organization or you're a boss, you don't look too much at how busy someone is, you look at what they produce. Don't let effort take the place of accomplishment. Do you know that you can sleep and not be rested? How many of you know that firsthand? <laughs> That's awful. You can work and not accomplish. You know, you can be married and not be in love. You can be spinning your wheels going nowhere. You can be a believer in Jesus and not bear fruit. And that's not the plan that God has for us. I've just, I stood before God this week and I said, God, what is the fruit of my life? Who am I really? When the pressure is there, what comes out of me? Is it godly? Is it right? Let me be a man of God. And the last thing is we must always stand for truth. We learn that in Jesus. He never compromised. He was wise, but he stood for the truth. I know it seems so obvious but I think in this culture, the culture just pushes us to do these little things. Just the little things that, that end up costing us a little more and a little more. And all of a sudden, I'm not walking in the truth. So There's a little deception going on here. I want God to help us today. As we stand before him and as we kneel before him and as we set our hearts in a place before him. Right now, before we pray, I want you to just ask the question. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord. Would you let me see if I have a truthful heart? Would you reveal to me the things that are not truly what you see that I need to put in proper place that you can help me with? Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that prayer. We are hungry for that. We want that. We are desiring. Now listen to this with your heads bowed. This is not about you trying harder. You'll fail. I'll fail. You know what this is? Surrender. It's giving up. It's saying, I can't do this. In our flesh, we cannot have the spirit. So I'm going to invite you to just say to the Lord, I surrender this. I surrender this. Show me how to lay it down again. Put the right people in my life, the right sources in my life, the right counsel in my life, the right accountability in my life. I will trust you in this. If you want to just respond to say, Lord, I want that integrity in my life, you can just tell him right now. Lord, I want to bear fruit. I've been lifting my hand all weekend to these. If you need forgiveness of your sin, just say it. Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. I know I'm in need. Why? Because he loves you and he has purpose for your future. And that's how you find that future. So Lord, we give this to you and we declare your righteousness over our lives, even over our flesh. And we thank you. Would you just thank him? Would you just right now say, thank you, Lord, that I can hand my pressure points to you and I can't fix them. But I give them to you and I trust you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.